Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Hi, I'm Andy Murray, and you're listening to The Tennis Podcast. Hello, and welcome to The Tennis Podcast in association with The Telegraph. It's Andy Murray against Milos Raonic in the final of this year's Aegon Championships at the Queen's Club. Many great players have played here over the years, and yesterday did a presentation on the court with McEnroe, Hewitt, Emerson, and uh, Boris. You know, these are some of the best players of all time and have won here four times, so if I can do better than them, then that's, you know, that's obviously a good sign. Hopefully tomorrow I can take it another step forward and really step up for the occasion and uh, take on the challenge as best as I can. During tonight's pod, you'll hear my chat with Milos Raonic, who talks about preparing for Murray, his pre-final routines, and a doubles match between Murray and Lendl and Raonic and McEnroe. Well, joining us to preview that final is one of the best tennis brains available in the podcast world right now. It is Simon Briggs of The Telegraph. Simon, you'll shortly be filing your piece for today, reflecting on what was a very, very good victory today for Andy Murray over Marin Cilic. What are your thoughts on that one? Yeah, he's been accelerating with each match. The the, the third set in particular today was extremely compelling because he was serving... um, it was so difficult to see how anyone could break him in those kind of those percentages he was putting down. I think he won 20 of 22 points on his serve in the third set. So he dipped in the middle just as he did against Carl Edmund uh, yesterday. And then when it came to the, the crunch, he, he delivered his best stuff. So uh, he doesn't really need to have that fade out tomorrow against Raonic, though. That could be quite a dangerous thing to do. Gigi, you were covering the match for Five Live. Were your reflection similar? He was very aggressive today, particularly on his own service games, wasn't he? Yeah, he, he certainly was. I mean, 80% of service, first service points won, which is what you need in a service like this, and it gives you a good advantage. He did disappear slightly in that second set, not taking too much away from Marin Cilic, but he has the extra gear to step up and to pull him through. And everyone's been talking about this week and how he's been playing. It hasn't been vintage Andy Murray, but Simon and I were doing commentary together. I actually asked Simon afterwards for sort of a if you were at school, a sort of half-term report after after each match, Simon? Yeah, I mean, I said that he'd probably get an alpha beta for his first match in this tournament and, and today's match, but I, I, he's not, not quite at alpha plus yet, is he? What do you think Lendl thinks? Hard to tell. <laughs> Whether Andy knows either is a good question. It's been funny, though, because we've all mythologised the Lendl regime and, uh, you know, you can't go back in time and really examine how it was like. But there are some things now which are going on, like a lot of chats and a lot of chuntering, uh, which we've all said, oh, he doesn't do that when Lendl's there. 
uh, like feeding out in the middle of matches, which we all said, oh, he doesn't do that when Lendl's there. And some of our uh, certainties have been somewhat exposed this week because he continues to do them, doesn't he? Is it just me, Simon, or during today's semi-final, was he or was he not chastising the box for not being more vocal, not being more demonstrative? Is that what he was saying or was he just was it just random chunterings? I thought he was trying to get them to be a bit more vocal somehow I, I, I'm not sure but I would say that if he's doing that he probably is exempting Ivan because Ivan has a special ticket doesn't he he's got a Willy Wonka gold ticket you can do what he wants in, um, in the Andy Murray camp so if he's asking uh, the other guys to, to be a sort of dance troupe and, and stand up at the right moments then, then it wouldn't apply to Ivan well, that's exactly what they were doing in Paris, though, wasn't it, Gigi? Yeah, that's what's interested me, how they'd react, because I thought it almost got to a comical stage in Paris. They would wait for Andy Murray to turn around, then the three of them would stand up, clap, cheer, and then they would sit down. But it was incredible how in sync they were. And then just watching, especially Jamie Delgado, who sits now next to Ivan Lendl, and he's taken up the Lendl stance, doesn't wear the sunglasses, but he has the arms folded and he sits back, and occasionally you see a twitch as if he wants to suddenly clap or stand up, but he doesn't. So I don't know whether he's a little bit intimidated by Lendl but there's not as much standing up on the box as there was in Paris. Is that something you've noticed, Simon? I, well, that's a really good point. I hadn't actually been looking at Jamie. I guess, I, I, you know, you, you get so Lendl-centric. Um, but yeah, that's an interesting sort of, it's, it's mission creep from, uh, from Lendl to, to Delgado, isn't it? Well, you mentioned Lendl centricism. That is the narrative that he's handed us this week. It's a very useful na- narrative for us in in the media. This added Lendl element. We're all desperately analysing his game, trying to see any differences, trying to figure out whether anything technically or tactically has yet changed. For you, has there been any demonstrable difference subsequent to Lendl's reappointment? Well, there is the extra factor of the change of surface makes it a little bit tricky. But yes, I think the forehand is bigger and more dominant and more the centre of his construction of points. And that is what happened in 2012 and 2013. And it's what made him a Grand Slam champion. You know, why has he not won as many slams as the other big four? Because his forehand's not as good as theirs, right? But... You think it's as simple as that? That's where he's not been as good as them. But it can be very good. Look, at, I mean, Federer and Nadal have the two greatest forehands ever, probably. It can be as good as Novak's, perhaps, if, if he builds all the way through the tournament, hitting it and, and committing to it, rather than, as he admitted here in, in media at the beginning of the tournament, playing one way through the tournament and then playing a different way in the final. And by that, I mean placing the forehand comfortably in his early round matches and, and using his all-round superiority to win matches against Novak, he hits it, but then he hasn't been hitting it all week. That's where he gets into trouble. So you think tomorrow we will see him play exactly as he has been playing all week in the final against Milos Raonic, who we expect, by the way, to be very aggressive as well, because that's how Raonic has been playing. Yeah, and uh, I'd also mention today, um, specific on the forehand, the running forehand, which was a f- huge factor in Andy's Wimbledon final victory. The running forehand. Whenever he beats Novak, Novak pushes him wide and he hits the running forehand with such power that Novak can't then work the point in his favour. So he said that today he felt better with that because he felt the footing was more sound and he was able to concentrate on on the contact and not on not falling over. Milos Raonic, Andy Murray's final opponent, has his own shy and retiring supercoach in the shape of Mr John McEnroe. We talked a lot about him yesterday because we got to speak to McEnroe and he was 
endlessly interesting and insightful as he always is, particularly on the subject of his uh, endeavours to sit still in the players' box, which uh, he's uh, unquestionably struggling with. But it's really interesting that the matchup of personalities and, and something that that Raonic talked about in his press conference today. I don't know if you were, were there, Simon, but he talked about needing McEnroe to come on to his team in order to bring him some presence on the court, almost channeling the presence of John McEnroe. And we had Peter Fleming on the podcast a couple of days ago, and he was saying, or theorising, that the reason more people hadn't perhaps thought of John McEnroe as a potential coach is because of how big a personality he is because I think the words Fleming used were he's too off the wall and maybe that's exactly what Milos Raonic wants it seems to be that seems to be what he's saying I was thinking today that if you take the two combinations that are going to be operating tomorrow there's about the same amount of uh, wildness and stoicism in both teams but it's the the player who's wild with with Andy and Ivan, and it's the coach who's wild with Raonic and McEnroe. But they, if you had opposites attracting, perhaps that that that's what's happening in these coaching teams, rather than looking for somebody who brings the same virtues that you do. And maybe that's why Raonic and McEnroe are getting off to such a good start. And it's great to see him enjoying his tennis. He seems to be really reveling in this kind of all-out attack. And I'm actually going to monster you rather than just sort of grinding you down like he might have done a couple of years ago. Well, that's just it, isn't it, Gigi? We are seeing a slightly more outgoing Milos Raonic. We are seeing a slightly bolder personality, perhaps a personality that was always there, but is being brought out a little bit more on the court and off it by Mr. John McEnroe. I'm sure we've seen a couple of smiles from Raonic at change of ends. I can't be 100% certain. He wouldn't confirm this with him, but I'm sure a couple of occasions he sat down. He looks very relaxed out on court. He does want to try and channel John McEnroe. He will never be John McEnroe. That is not, he's a fairly shy guy. He likes to go to art galleries. He likes to keep himself to himself. So maybe this is exactly what he needs. Someone like John McEnroe to get out there and say, right, this is how you need to be. Take a little bit of me. Take it into your demeanor out on court because people will look at me like Raonic and think, well, you've got no problem having a presence on court. But that's what he's saying. I did have a presence. I did have a problem. I do have a problem. And that's what I need to be a little bit more of. I need to be the aggressor. I need to go out there and say, you've got to beat me and start like that. And that always already gives you somewhat of an advantage. The pair of them in their press conferences today were playing down the super coach element, the McEnroe versus Lendl element, slightly annoyingly, because everybody wanted the quote saying, you know, I want to do it for Lendl, I want to do it for McEnroe. Do you think they mean it? Do you think they feel any extra pressure? Because there was a glint in McEnroe's eye yesterday when I asked him about the possibility of a Murray-Raunich final and the possibility of him taking on Ivan Lendl. He said, yes, it would put an extra fire in his belly. Do you think the two players feel that at all? Do you think they mean what they say when they say it's neither here nor there for them? It might matter to their coaches, but it doesn't matter to them. I think they're being pretty honest. It's quite a big final if you consider that Andy could become the first man to win five Aegon championships. That's no mean feat. And Raonic has just been beaten by him twice this season already. And then in the last match in Monte Carlo, obviously very different surface. It was 6-2, 6-love. So I think there's a lot at stake and it's not actually necessarily for them to bring the coaching element into it. But the, the tactical... And then, and then the way the tactical aspect is probably... They've, they've really put on the court already this week what we're going to see tomorrow. I think there's not going to be too many surprises. And Round is quite open in his press conference saying, I'm just going to try and, try and rush him and, and, and come forward and um, keep the points short because... If you give Andy rhythm, that's when he starts to uh, to really take you apart. Well, you spoke to 
Raonic, didn't you, after the after the press conference? What what was his take on things? Yeah, I didn't. It was interesting because you'd feel if you're an alien that just landed on this planet, you'd think it was Ivan Lendl taking on John Makarov because, as you said, that's the line. People want to get the quotes about that. Yes, I did sneak in a question about that at some stage, but I wanted to find out how he was feeling. It's his first grass court final in his 18th ATP Tour final. So I wanted to talk about how he feels about that and his confidence in general. I feel like I'm making good progress. I'm improving match by match. I've been playing guys that have been playing well and also that enjoy playing on grass as for some of them is their best surface so it's been uh, good to sort of get that in front deal with those challenges as well and also be making up some good developmental progress along the way it's going to be your 18th atp to a final especially pleasing that it's your first on grass yeah it's it's nice to have that you know and it's nice especially without much preparation on grass to be able to play so well but it's not about just sort of Letting that be the milestone, I, I want to have another tournament in my arsenal. It's a ninth meeting with Andy Murray. What are you expecting from him tomorrow? Oh, definitely a difficult match. Uh, he presents many difficult challenges. You know, he's going to return well. He's going to move well. He's going to scrap. He's going to fight. And uh, I'm going to try to neutralize that as much as I can and try to take my game to him. Does it make you smile that the finals between yourself and Andy Murray, but some would think, if they didn't know anything about tennis, that the final is about Ivan Lendl against John McEnroe? Yeah, I'm sure it's a pleasant storyline for many people, but at the end of the day, for me, I'm my own biggest obstacle, and then i got to deal with Andy, which is plenty enough without worrying about those two other guys. <laughs> you talked about the influence that John McEnroe's had so far, and I thought it was quite interesting that you said that some of the influence has been about the presence on court, because you're such a big guy. People would think, well, you've already got that presence, but you felt you needed something a little bit more. Yeah, you, you try to send that message that, you know, I'm here, and I'm going to take my game to you, and I'm going to do everything I can to beat you. And... Uh, might not click right away with the other guy, but sometimes in those pressure moments, it's what can make a big difference. And you got to be there sort of emphasizing that from the start of the match all the way through. Now, are you a creature of habit or ahead of a final? Do you do something a little bit different? Like, do you have the same food every night of every tournament or will you go a little bit crazy because there's a final tomorrow? No, routine. Routine, uh, <laughs> routine works and habits work. And, you know, I, I have the specific things I know I need to put in my body. I know how much rest I need to get. I know all these things. I know when I play tomorrow. So it's a little bit easier to organize than it is sometimes early in the week when you're sort of waiting on results ahead of your match. But uh, it's it's about really doing the things the right way, the th- way that they've been working for me so I can get the most efficiency and hopefully the best tennis out of myself. And finally, we spoke to John McEnroe yesterday and he said he quite fancies a double match, himself and yourself, against Ivan Lendl and Andy Murray. Would you be up for that? Because we can maybe try and make this happen. Yeah, I think uh, it would be something that people would like to watch, but i got some work to do before that, that's for sure. Yes, thank you and good luck. Thank you very much. Okay, so that dream doubles match does seem to still be on the table. All we've got to do is find a way to actually make it happen. But we'll bear it in mind, we'll bear it in mind. On to the final, though. It's time to make some predictions, not necessarily school predictions, although those are always welcome here on the Tennis Podcast, but predictions of how, Simon, you think the match is going to play out, what the what the general feel of it is going to be. Very, very close, I think. Raonic has not dropped serve all week. I think Tomic, someone said he'd been listed with two unforced errors today and he's still got sploshed 6-4, 6-4. So that is some serious form. Andy, on the other hand, has never lost a final here, four out of four. You know, it's a, it's a pretty enticing final. You couldn't have scripted it any better from, from day one when Stan Wawrinka went out. And can I push you for a prediction? I didn't really come down, did I? I, I you know, Andy has maybe had to dig deeper all the way through has shown that he can produce it in a deciding set and I think I'd lean 60-40 to him doing the same thing in the deciding set tomorrow. Gigi, do you agree? 
I'm really looking forward to it. I agree on that point to start with. I think it's intriguing. 5-3, the head-to-head in favour of Murray. It's on grass. I think Roundish is still trying to get that confidence. It's well documented, the fall he had at Wimbledon, the way the confidence took a hit. He's now got Macro who's given him that confidence. Andy Murray hasn't been on top form this week. I think it's still too early to really bring the coaches too much into this, as, as Roundish said. Look, he's not just here, Macro to help me on the grass. It's to help me as an advisor in general. In terms of the match, I mean... I mean, Andy Murray's been pretty good on serve as well. We talk about Milos Raonic. It's going to be intriguing. The courts are still a little bit slippy. We're seeing a few slips and slides here and there. I will give it to Murray in three. I've got a little feeling for Raonic, you know. I'm not just trying to be contrarian. I'm not just trying to uh, not form a consensus here to make it interesting. I actually have a little feeling for Raonic. I think... um, I think John McEnroe wants this for Milos Raonic as much as he's ever wanted anything for himself. I really do. And and that's not necessarily enough. But I think it could be the thing that makes a difference. And I think there's a glint in Raonic's eye as well. I mean, I think Murray wants this title. He wants to go down in Aegon Championships history without question. However, I think he's... I don't think he's feeling his absolute best. I think he's been suffering a little bit with a cold this week. And I just think there's a couple of things that just hand this to Milos Raonic, actually. I think it will be close either way. Whoever is the victor, I I really see three sets. I think it'll be close. I think serve could be crucial. And as you say, Simon, Raonic has not been broken all week. And I just, I can't wait to see the reaction. We need a camera on Lendl, a camera on McEnroe, and tennis can happen in the background. Yeah, you know what happens when you put a camera on on Lendl. You remember what happened last time? What happens? He sticks his towel on it. I was about to say, even if he doesn't stick his towel on it, I don't think it's going to be that exciting Lendl cam. I think McEnroe cam will be a lot more fun. We'll just have two cameras on McEnroe then. Simon, we've kept you long enough. We'll let you go and file your piece, but thank you very much for joining us on the Tennis Podcast. Thanks for having me. Well, thank you, Gigi, as well. I think it's safe to say, Gigi, that we have pretty comprehensively previewed the men's singles final between Andy Murray and Milos Raonic, and, of course, also between Ivan Landau and John McEnroe. We can't wait for that. Remember also that there is the men's doubles final tomorrow. We don't know exactly who will be in it. We know that Pierre Huguebert and Nicolas Mahou, the world's best doubles team, will be in it, but who their opponents will be remains to be seen because Andre Sarr and Chris Cuccioni are still locked in battle against Julien Beneteau and Edouard Roger Vasselin, the other all French team. They're at three all overnight and they will resume at 11.30 tomorrow morning on court one. So we'll be back tomorrow to talk about the men's singles final, the men's doubles final and reflect on the week as a whole. Please do join us for our very last 2016 Aegon Championships tennis podcast and thank you still for listening. The secret to summer-ready skin is here. Osea's number one best-selling Andaria Algae Body Oil, clinically proven to instantly improve skin elasticity and transform dry skin to silky, soft, and unbelievably glowing. Its signature scent of freshly squeezed grapefruit, cypress, and mango mandarin transports you to sun-kissed summer days. Get healthy, glowing skin for summer with clean, vegan skincare from Osea. Get 10% off your first order site-wide with code GLOW at OseaMalibu.com.